Hey there, and welcome to the Oxano Podcast. Oxano is a worship service for college students and young adults that takes place weekly during the school year at Dawson Family of Faith. If you're ever in Birmingham, Alabama on a Tuesday night, we hope you'll join us as we worship through song, prayer, and the Word. Thanks for listening. Okay, so, hey guys. My name is Cole Fryer, not to be confused with Cole Griffith, the other Cole, smaller, shorter Cole. Um, But it's really good to be able to talk to you guys tonight in continuing our sermon series in the woes to the Pharisees. And so if if this is not your first time here this semester and you've heard of Cole and Jacob talking about the Pharisees, I feel like you're probably getting a pulse as to what the Pharisees are all about. They're all about cheating people. They're all about sliding right under the law. They're all about doing what's just exactly right but not exactly right. And they feel like they're above everyone. And they're just, think they're better than everyone else. Now, to kind of... um, put into perspective just how terrible these people are, I'm going to tell you about ninth grade Cole. He's being very pharisaical this day. So I was in ninth grade. I was sitting in biology class. And just like every good little Christian, I was a cultural Christian. Let me preface that, okay? I thought I was a Christian, and I thought that I, you know, just because I you know, love Jesus and put my hands up in the air. That meant everything was kosher, but it was not. Um, I was in biology class and my teacher, who's also a Christian, prefaced the class with, okay, everybody, now is the time where we like to talk about evolution. And I really don't like talking about this because I personally don't believe in it, but the state makes me teach this to you guys. And so she did all this, this whole big kind of like preface. And this one girl, I'm not gonna say her name, Um, she and I just, you know, we were not, you know, friends and she was just in like an outright atheist. She, you know, if you had a faith of any kind, she was just like, you were like, she was going to talk to you and tell you how stupid you were. And so she raised her hand up and she was like, I don't even get why this is an issue. I don't even understand why this is a question. Like, this is obviously true. Like, And I got so mad. Another thing you have to know about ninth grade Cole is not only was he a cultural Christian, but he also carried around his life application study Bible with him to school every day, (laughs) which is about this thick. And the reason why I carried that one was because it was the thickest, obviously. And so I kept it in my backpack. I I didn't crack the thing, but I carried it around in my backpack. And as she is having this rampage, I slam it on my desk. And I go, Genesis 1. And I start reading Genesis 1 out loud. (laughs) And I thought I was great. Thought that I had saved her, you know. I thought that... (laughs) And so then days go by and my biology teacher walks up to me and she says, Cole. I went to church on Wednesday and I told my pastor about what happened. Oh, it was just amazing. And he laughed. He thought it was amazing. And she was just really pumping me up. And I was like, I know, I know, I know. (laughs) Um, And looking back on it, that's probably the worst thing she, she could have said to me. Puffing me up about something I didn't really even know about. I didn't even crack that Bible, but I carried it around school with me 
And I wanted people to see me holding it. And I wanted to slap it on my desk and start reading Genesis 1 just because we were talking about evolution that day. I didn't even know what was hardly in that Bible. But I was building this whole foundation on myself and my reputation and how I felt about who I was. And that's the Pharisees. They're only concerned with how they're perceived. They're only concerned with how they feel, with how others see them. But the thing about the Pharisees, these separated ones, they wanna, they're called the separated ones. They want to separate themselves from regular lowly people who don't have God's favor like they do. The thing about these Pharisees and scribes is at the end of the day, when they're faced with trials and tribulations and temptations, they essentially have nothing. Their foundation is absolutely nothing because they don't know who Christ is. They only knew themselves. And in the face of all those trials and tribulations and temptations, they only knew, their only tactic was to hide within themselves. And so let's look at an Old Testament context in order to put this into um, more of a picture. Genesis 3, when I think about someone hiding in themselves, I think about Genesis 3. Starting in verse 7, then the eyes of both Adam and Eve were open and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. I was afraid. I was ashamed. So I hid myself. At the end of the day, they didn't have anything to stand on either. Much like the Pharisees, their foundation was not strong. So Jesus in this verse Bringing back into context Matthew 23, the verse my wife read for us a minute ago. Jesus is laying out for them in these four verses, three options. And I'm going to give you those three options tonight. Three options for how we can deal with life's trials, temptations, and tribulations. Option A, we have the cup and the plate, also known as hedonism. So let's read verse 25 and 26 again. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. My preaching professor says that you're supposed to read it how it was written, and it has an exclamation point, so I'm going to say, hypocrites. <laughs> For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and the plate, and then also the outside may be clean. So just get something out of the way. I know one of you is thinking it. I've never heard of the inside of a plate before because it's one-sided. That's the first thing I thought of. Maybe I'm just weird. Um, plate, um, think of like a good pasta bowl, you know, with just like a little lip, you know? Okay, never mind. I'm the only one who eats out of pasta bowl. Maybe that's something when you like have a wedding registry, you get one of those things. I don't know. Um, 
it has like a little lip. So there technically is like an inside and an outside. I just want to make that clear. That's the first thing that I thought of when I read that. Um, you blind Pharisee, greed, self-indulgence. So let's think about what plates and cups are used for. Plates and cups are used for eating and drinking, indulging, enjoying, being joyful. Hedonism. Hedonism, in just a minute, is the ethical theory that pleasure, in the sense of the satisfaction of desires, is the highest good and proper aim of human life. So this is a philosophy that a lot of people in the ancient world follow. Basically, eat, drink, and be merry. Sleep with whoever you want. Partake in any content that makes yourself feel good. Do whatever you want. Eat whatever you want. Drink whatever you want. Basically, do whatever you want that makes you feel good. If it makes you feel good and you're loving on it and your flesh, amen. That is the highest good and proper aim of human life. These, this is the option A that Jesus is laying out for them. You are overindulging. You're being greedy. You're outside of your cup and your plate. They're glistening. They look shiny and new because you're very concerned with how other people view you. But inside is absolutely filthy. And the scary thing about hedonism is that conviction has no place in this lifestyle because love of flesh and world leads to a lack of conviction. And that is a scary place to be. You no longer feel bad for your sin. I remember whenever I was in college and one of my really good friends looked at me because I was, I was dealing with conviction and I was like, oh man, it's the, it's the worst, isn't it? And there, she was like, no, it's not. And I was like, what? And she said, conviction's actually really good. It means the Holy Spirit's dwelling with inside you. And it means that you care about when you sin. And you know when you sin. And I thought about that for a minute. And I was like, oh my gosh. That's exactly right. Think about how scary it would be if you showed no remorse for your sin at all. If you had no conviction whatsoever. But a love of flesh and the world leads to a lack of conviction. These people are overindulging in who they are and what they want and how they feel in themselves. Remember, Adam and Eve hiding within themselves. You no longer feel bad for your sin. The scripture tells us in John 14 that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that nobody can come to the Father except through him. That's what's true. Scripture also tells us in 2 Corinthians 15 that love for the world and love for flesh do not lead to a life centered around the one who knew no sin and became sin for you. Think about that for a second. He who knew no sin became for sin for you. It's because God loves you so much and it's because this is what is true. Again, not 
how we're looking on the outside despite what's going on on the inside, not how we are chasing after what's gonna make ourselves feel good. No matter what kind of content we look up on our phone to make ourselves feel good, no matter what kind of thing or, or social norm that we are interacting with just to make ourselves feel good, regardless of if we know that the scriptures absolutely forbade it. Okay, so that's option A. Obviously, that's a no, right? Okay, good. Option B, whitewashed tombs. Stoicism. Verse 27, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Hypocrisy and lawlessness. So a minute ago, we were dealing with greed and self-indulgence. Now we're dealing with hypocrisy and lawlessness. So what's a whitewashed tomb? Apparently, these Pharisees were so concerned with the minute things of the law. Remember what Jacob said in his sermon on the weightier matters. They're so concerned with how they are perceived by others in relation to the law that they don't even want to be associated with anything that can be sought, um, seen as unclean. So they whitewash these tombs. Basically, they are putting white chalk all over these tombs because it's technically a barrier between them and the bones. That chalk is technically a barrier, that razor thin barrier between them and breaking the law. But he says, it may look white and shiny on the outside, but it's full of dead people's bones on the inside, just like the cup and the plate were filthy on the inside, this tomb is absolutely unclean. They themselves are filthy on the inside. So this is all again about how they are perceived by others and how they feel about themselves. No world, just self. So we were worried about the world a minute ago. Now we're talking about ourselves. This is the way of Stoicism. Stoicism is, an, is another philosophy. So hedonism, we're doing a 180, Stoicism. The antithesis of hedonism is Stoicism, which means the endurance of pain or hardship without the display of feelings at all. Don't smile. Don't enjoy anything. Don't love. Don't even... Desire, don't, don't desire anything. Don't have any emotion. Don't live a life. Be a robot. Be a stone cold statue. Only be focused about how righteous you are and just grit your teeth. Be a statue. Can y'all imagine living like that? Only focused with how you are being perceived by others. They're putting white chalk on a tomb because they are so consumed with how they are, are being perceived by the ones around them, how they are treating the small little matters of the law. 
And like Jacob said again, totally doing away with the weightier matters. This is not what we're called to. We're called to enjoy life. We're called like to be joyful and smile. Like that's actually a good thing. God's word says in Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. I mean, I know you've heard this before, but we're ta- I mean, it, that's what we're called to do. It also says in Psalm 118, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Sadly, though, for the Pharisees and the scribes, love of pride and their reputation leads to a lack of true zeal. Because they are so concerned with pride and reputation, they are no longer in any way confronted with true zeal, true joy, happiness of any kind. But Ephesians 2, it tells us that we have been made alive together with Christ. We don't have to act like statues. We don't have to act like robots. We don't have to act stone cold. We have been made alive together with Christ, not dead and lifeless. So I think we've both, I think we've all established that both A and B are just terrible options. Okay, good. If someone didn't think that, I'd be like, there's a door over there, but um, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Um, um, but when you think about these two options, before we get to option C, when you think about these two options, hedonism and stoicism, I mean, you see that, I mean, like, it's very easy to just read the definition on the screen and be like, yeah, that's not me. I'm not, I'm not saying eat, drink, and be merry. And I'm also not a lifeless robot. But it is very easy to teeter in those ways in different seasons of your life. I mean, you maybe lean a little bit more to option A, hedonism, and saying, I go to a Christian college. I'm just showing people that there's grace and that Christians can have fun too. Or I go to a secular college. This is the culture I'm surrounded with and I'm not trying to think that people think I'm judging them. Or you may say, I don't want to be a stick in the mud. My workplace is filled with hypocritical Christians, and I want people to know that someone can also love God and love the world. Or you may be teetering over to option B in Stoicism and saying, I'm just going to grit my teeth until Jesus comes back. Or there's all these people who are overindulging in all these things they shouldn't overindulge with whenever they actually could just start acting like me. No. We need Jesus. Realism. No longer hedonism, all about your eating and drinking and loving life. No longer stoicism, being a stone cold statue, but realism a faith that is real, a hope that is real, a joy and a peace and a foundation that is solid. 1 John 5, 12 says, whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son 
does not have life. Very simple. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. John clearly lays it out. This life is ours because Jesus has given it to us. He also is the one who redeems our desires. Jesus satisfies our every need and desire in a very real way because he is our redeemer. Listen, I want to make one thing very clear. It is not wrong to desire something. That is not a bad trait. That is not, that is not a sin to desire something. It is not bad to desire love of life and enjoyment. That's not bad. It is also not bad to desire righteousness. That's also not bad. And so what Jesus does is he redeems those desires. So when this, first, when this concept of Jesus redeeming our desires was first given to me and taught to me, I was like, I don't really know how that works. Like, that sounds really great and would like, if you cross-stitched that on a pillow, my grandma would buy it. But I don't really know what that means. And so if you look to James 1, James 1 starting in verse 14, it kind of gives you a framework as to how Jesus actually does this. So James 1 verse 14, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So this is a game plan, a framework for how our sinful desires go. It's a timeline. Our sin, well, first we're enticed by our own desire. Then sin gives birth. Then that brings forth death. Desire, sin, death. The beautiful thing about Jesus is whenever he died for us, he turned that framework absolutely on its head. And now it's not desire, sin, and death, but it's death, sin, desire. He put death to death, killed sin on a cross and redeemed our desires. Because he died the death that we all deserve and because he put an end to sin, now our sinful desires have the opportunity to be made holy. Because it's not a bad thing to desire something. I want you to know that. What does this look like practically? Practically, sexual immorality is now holy intimacy. Greediness and covetousness is now sharing. Isolation and loneliness are now a wonderful community. Divisiveness is now inclusion. Jesus takes every one of our broken desires and he dusts them off, cleans them up and absolutely gives them new life in a holy and beautiful way. 
His way is everlasting and full of exceeding joy. So no longer are we focused on what we can do to measure up to God, like the Pharisees. How can we measure up to God? How can we do X, Y, and Z just so and right so that we can somehow be better than these lowly people and we can be so far above them and we, we can measure up. We're not focused on that anymore because Jesus, he took the cup and he emptied the tomb so that you don't have to. He took the cup of God's wrath on himself, rolled that stone away in that tomb that was once full of dead bones so that you don't have to. He is now sitting at the right hand of the Father, holy and righteous and doing the same thing for you who all believe in him. Jesus took the cup and he emptied the tomb so you don't have to. So let's go back to Adam and Eve. We started with Adam and Eve. All they could think to do, their only game plan when they were found out was hiding. Their, their, their grand idea was tying fig leaves together to cover themselves because they were so ashamed. They didn't want God to see them. That's the last thing they wanted was God's eyes to be on them. They were ashamed and afraid. And one thing I want to ask you is, aren't you tired of hiding? Aren't you tired of hiding within yourself? Because it's a tactic, but it's not a good one. Aren't you tired of your only game plan being to hide in a flesh that just is so broken? Whenever we have the opportunity to stand before God, wholly unashamed and unafraid because our righteousness is now made new. Jesus is our righteousness. He put death to death so that we can stand before a holy God, blameless before him. We're no longer hiding, but we are proud to stand before God, knowing that we have been made righteous through Christ. We don't have to be ashamed or feel guilty of ourselves because we know that Christ is our righteousness. Aren't you tired of hiding? When you look at the cup and the tomb, the cup and the plate, and you look at the tomb, I hope the next time you look at it again, you just cannot read it or talk about it without thinking about Jesus. Because when you think about it, I mean, the cup and the plate, where do we see that in scripture? The Lord's table, the Lord's supper. His body was spilt for us and we can drink from the cup his 
body was broken for us so we can partake in eating of the bread. And the tomb, no longer are we talking about a fake, chalked, whitewashed tomb full of dead bones, but we're talking about the place where Jesus resurrected. So as Christians, we're no longer looking at greed and self-indulgence, hypocrisy and lawlessness. We're talking about Christ's redeeming work in us, in the world. So, one question I have for you is in the face of trials and tribulation and temptation. Remember Adam and Eve were faced with this. Pharisees and the scribes, I know we're faced with this. In your life, in the face of trials and tribulations and temptation, are you gonna run away ashamed and hide within yourself? Are you gonna run toward the one who took the cup and emptied the tomb for you. Let's pray. Dear God, we love you so very much and we're just so thankful that you love us. God, you love us so much that you died for us. You made a way for our desires to be redeemed. You gave us an option that is eternal. You gave us a way to be unashamed Lord, we're just so thankful. Lord, I pray that tonight this word will penetrate into the hearts of the ones who hear it and that they can begin to understand anew and afresh who you are and how they need you. Lord, I pray all of this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Oxano podcast. If you're interested in the songs that we sing, you can find us on Spotify at Oxano Songs We Sing. If you have more questions about what it means to follow Jesus or about next steps in following him, please email us at connect at dawsonchurch.org. We'll see you next week.